Good Friday, his, his death on the cross in our place for our sin. We're here. It's Easter Sunday. Man, death could not hold him. The stone was rolled away and he's been raised to new life again. And, but the word that has just been rattling around in my brain all week long is this word new. Right. How many of y'all love new stuff? Yeah. <laughs> More than new stuff. You know what I like? I like it when something old gets renovated or restored and it feels like new. You know what I'm saying? There's like... Hey, where's Sean and Ash? Okay, Sean and Ash, they're right. These guys, their job is to uh, go into homes and gut the old out of the homes. They do interior design and renovation, and they come in, and they make what was old brand new. Yeah. And it's a transformation that we see. And you guys like HGTV? You like watching these transformations? You like watching these shows where it's like, wow, that was terrible. I would never look at, live in that house, you know? I would never live in that house, but just put Michael's homes on it for a couple months, and it's like, boom, resurrection. Baby. It's like, and I've been thinking about this word new, because this is what the resurrection miracle makes possible for all of us. And so I was just, I've been thinking about this all weekend, is, is God, just check this out. So our Bible that we read out of has um, an Old Testament and a... New. New Testament. The New Testament is filled with the good yes. news of Jesus, which is what we call the gospel. If you're new to church, when you hear the gospel, it just means the good news. It's good news. These are all straight out of, I did a Bible search on in the New Testament of the word new, okay? It's the good news of new teaching from Jesus, new commandments from Jesus, a new way of the Spirit, it says in Romans 7, 6. It's the, uh, the new way of the Spirit enables us to be, become new creations. The old has gone, 2 Corinthians 5 says, and the, the new has come. Yeah. Old to new. All of us have fallen short. The inside of our homes, if we're honest, before Jesus, without Jesus, man, the inside of our homes, man, nobody want to live there, right? Be honest with yourself for a second. Okay, at your worst, without Jesus, right? You need a renovation. Right. You need a newness. And this is what we celebrate. This is what the simple gospel of his death and his resurrection, it opens the door for this beautiful word that's all throughout the scriptures called grace. It's called grace. It's like, look, the inside of your house is so beat down and nasty. Nobody would ever want to live in there in your worst moments. You know it's true. You know it's true. And you can go around with a scrub brush and some paint, and you can try to tidy it. We've all tried the, the, the self-made renovation, right? You know what I'm talking about? You've all tried to do, and that's why their business exists, right? Because we actually aren't very good at that. And so we need the professionals to come in, right, and, and do, do the job right and really make it new. But listen, it's the good news of a new teaching, the new commandment, the new way of the Spirit, where you can become a new creation. And Romans 6 says you can walk in newness of life. You can put off the old self and put on the new self because it's all testifying to a new covenant where you get a new name, start singing new songs as you wait for a new heaven and a new earth because the testimony of Jesus as he stands up at the end of time is behold, I am making all things new. 
This is what the resurrection is about. What, what do you, if Jesus could walk in this room, which I don't think he needs to, because I think we would agree during worship, he's already here. But if he could just walk up to your chair and put his finger on one thing in your life and make it new, what would you, what would you hold out before him? Again, 100 people in this room, 100 different stories. Maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. Maybe for some of you, it is some bitterness. Maybe for some of you, it is fear. Maybe for some of you, it is some crippling relationship that you just never think is going to be reconciled. Maybe for some of you, it is a physical ailment. Maybe for some of you, it is a mental torment that you are under. I don't know what it is for you, but I know he can make it new. Yeah. That's right. I know he can make it new. And this is the hope of the resurrection. We're in a season as a church community called Those Who Dream. And we get this out of Psalm 126, 1 and 2. It says that when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. We've been looking at three words here. Restoration, that word restored, the word dream, and the word joy. And what we've been talking about is that we, the last couple years, just look at your neighbor real quick and be like, man, last two years have been hard. Just be honest. Say, man, it's been nasty. Look at your neighbor and be like, I don't want to do that again. Just turn to your other neighbor. Seriously. Be like, I don't want to do that again. Okay? No one wants to relive. No one wants to relive 2020. Y'all remember the meme that joke came out when it turned 2022? Did y'all see that? There was a joke that when it it turned 2022, like, oh, no, not again. We don't want to do over on 2020, you know? Did y'all get that? Yeah. Did that fall flat? 2020 also? No, we don't want to. All right, so, but look, it's been a tough couple years. But what we're sensing is that we are, the, the, the global church, and we believe our local church here in Salt Lake City, that we are actually moving into a season of restoration. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Yeah. What happens when you get to begin to experience God's restoration or renovation, or to somebody say newness, all right? When you begin to experience restoration, you start to dream again. You start to look at the future again. Hope that was lost starts to rise again, right? Restoration, you start thinking about the future, not with fear and doubt and anxiety anymore. You start to, something rises in you. It's called hope. I know we haven't felt it a lot in the last couple years. But restoration leads to this dreaming, which then leads to these, that our mouths filled with laughter, tongues with shouts of joy. And man, I would just say, you look around the last couple years, and let's be honest, church, like, like our joy has been on short supply. Yeah. I've heard more people in the last two years talk about, I would venture to say all of us to some degree or another, so we're not calling anybody out here. More people in the last two years wrestling in very real ways with anxiety, with depression, with despair, with hopelessness, with suicidal thoughts. More than ever before in my life, I turned 40 this year, it feels like everywhere I look, our joy is under siege. Our joy is under siege because our future feels uncertain. But what we're going to see this morning 
very hopeless, uncertain future in a moment. Yeah. Right. One resurrection moment. Their future came alive. Yeah. And so I want us to go, if you got a Bible, I want you to flip to Matthew 27. We're going to be camping in Matthew 27 and Matthew 28. We said last week, as you're flipping there, as you're searching, uh, well, I want to throw this quote up there if we have it, that we feel like that we are in a season of rising from the disappointments of yesterday and daring to dream again for the God appointments of tomorrow. Yeah. I, this is what this series, Those Who Dream, is about. It's not a series as much as we feel like it is a season. And if this is a, your, your church home and you're a part of this church family, I want to encourage you that when our leadership team and, and our staff team we're not just like pulling ideas out of our hat. We are prayerfully trying to listen and say, God, what are you saying? And we believe that there is a season that we are moving into of restoration. And so if this is your church family. That's an opportunity to say, oh, my leaders are the covering of this family. My, my, my spiritual leaders are saying there's an opportunity to step into restoration. Yeah. And I want you to know, church family, when there is a, there is a temptation, whenever somebody starts talking about it, to be like, oh, but that's not for me. Yeah. And I'm saying, step in through faith and say, okay, okay, I'm going to start believing that this is a season of restoration for me. I'm going to start believing that God is doing something and that it's time for me to rise from the disappointments of yesterday and start dreaming again about the God appointments of tomorrow. And I think that this is exactly what happened when they showed up at the tomb on the third day. But we're actually going to start on Friday night. I want us to see the full scope of what happened on this Easter weekend. So go there with me. Matthew 27. This is Friday night after his crucifixion. It was evening, and there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Joseph then rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. It's Friday night, it's dark, it's late, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. It's Friday night, the tomb has just been sealed, and I am sure they are confused, they are shocked, they are probably traumatized from what they had just seen in the brutal execution of Jesus. They are heartbroken, grieving, and just probably bewildered. And they're sitting outside from the sealed entrance of the tomb on a Friday night. Can you imagine them trying to go to sleep that night? I mean, step into this moment. These are real people living through real events. They had to go to sleep after watching their beloved friend, their beloved teacher, and not just intellectually, the one that had brought very real healing and life transformation into their lives over the last three years. They had to watch him bloodied, wrapped up in burial cloths, and put into the side of a mountain. And then Saturday, the next day, that is 
after the day of preparation. Check this out. We always talk about Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We never really talk about Saturday. Anybody curious what was going down on Saturday? It's actually fascinating. Check this out. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Those are the bad guys. If you're new to the, to the Bible, those are the religious bad guys that were set against Jesus because they didn't believe Jesus was telling the truth, that he was God's son come to save the world. So look, they said, hey, we remember how that imposter, that's what they're saying about Jesus, that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Check this out. Look at me real quick, church. Yeah. Jesus foretold his death and, re- and resurrection Three times that we know of in the scripture. So probably more than that. It was so well known to his followers that he had foretold his death and resurrection that even the people that didn't follow him knew that he was saying, are you tracking with me? After three days, I will rise. So these guys go, oh, I have an idea. Let's order the tomb to be made secure. Somebody say secure. Secure. And then laugh. Okay, look. Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day because we don't want his disciples to go and steal him away and then tell everybody, he's risen. Are you you following this story? This is the Bible. This is like a sitcom, all right? And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Check it out. Pilate said to them, look, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure. Make it as secure as you can. Yeah. Are you reading this? Go ahead. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb. Come on, somebody say secure. Secure. It's it's laughable if you know what's about to happen. By sealing the stone and setting the guard. So Saturday, the Jewish leaders are running around on Saturday scheming of how to make this tomb more secure. But it must have been the longest day ever for his followers, for his friends. It must have been agonizing. Weeping, waiting. Now, as I just said, he had foretold (laughs) to them very, very clearly at least three occasions that he was going to be handed over, that he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to be resurrected. So on Saturday, do you think that that's crossing their mind a couple times? Do you think that they're wrestling? They are wrestling. It must have been an agonizing day. They are wrestling with their faith. Have you ever wrestled with your faith? Saturday was a day of waiting and wrestling. He said he was going to rise again. A third day. I wonder if they were going, okay, wait, did he mean this is day one? (laughs) Tomorrow's day two? Have you ever thought about this before? Uh I honestly realized, honestly, my first, when I realized Good Friday was Friday and then Easter Sunday, I was like, no, 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 that's only the second day. He died. Saturday was day one. Sunday was day two. I I literally, legit, I remember being confused early on in my faith, going, what? I wonder if they were wrestling, going, is it going to be tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Or Monday. (laughs) They're wrestling. But look, this hit me like a ton of bricks as I was 
preparing for this message. Listen, these guys walked with Jesus in flesh and blood for three years, okay? They walked by sight, not by faith. They saw him actually in flesh and blood, right? We have it the opposite, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus isn't with us, flesh and blood, okay? They had him in the flesh for three years, and this Saturday was the first time in history that his followers couldn't trust what they could see, but had to trust what he said. Yeah. We live in that world all the time. Yeah. That's right. This was their first day. Yeah. Are you seeing? Are you seeing this? So then in Matthew 28, here it is, Sunday morning. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Maybe they went to see the tomb because they were going in faith. Maybe they were going saying, he said on the third day, and by my count, Friday was one. Okay, let's go. I just got to say, where were the men? And can I just gently rebuke about him? Guys, why was it just the two ladies at the tomb? Where were the 11 dudes? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, there was something about these two women and the power of their faith and how they must have hung on Jesus every word for those three years. And so they were the first ones that showed up on Sunday morning. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards, remember the guards that were there to make it secure? secure? (laughs) They trembled and they became like dead men, which I think means they just passed out. (laughs) I mean, can you see this picture? The angel comes down. Bursting with light, the stone rolls away, and the guards that were supposed to be there making the situation secure, they pass out. (laughs) But the angel said to the women, the two Marys, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Read this verse with me. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. As he said. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell those 11 dudes that should be here with you if it's the third day and they were ever listening. Sorry, guys. I think the point is we actually don't listen now. Well, men, he teed them up. The ladies, though, were off to the side for three years watching and listening. Man, the women in our life, they hear things that go right over us. And they were the first ones there. What an honor. What an honor for the first human beings to be these these precious women who had, had just encountered such power and healing. One of them was a prostitute. The other one was demon possessed. And they had found such profound healing in Jesus. It had totally transformed who they were. And it totally made them new. Yeah. And so they're just, they're sunrise Sunday morning. He said the third day. Yeah, I did. Go tell those dudes he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you 
and you will see. You will see. Verse 8, they quickly departed from the tomb, look at this, with fear and great joy. Remember what I said? You're just one resurrection moment away from your despair and confusion being turned into great joy. That is what the empty tomb is about. They're running off with fear and great joy to tell the disciples. The way I read this is that on the way, Jesus meets them. So the two Marys go run off. They saw the tomb was empty. They hadn't seen Jesus yet. They just saw the angel, the passed out guards, and the empty tomb. And so they go running to find the guys. And on the way to find the guys, Jesus meets them. It says, greetings. (laughs) What's up? You know, hey, I'm here. They came, and look, they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see. When you see the resurrected Jesus, the only response is to worship him. Right. Yeah. That's right. The ladies, these two women, they saw. The word for worship just means to bow. I don't know what that moment looked like, but I think it's just saying that they fell on their faces because they saw a resurrected man. They saw their resurrected friend. They saw their resurrected Messiah, Savior, healer. They saw him, and they bowed, and they worshiped. And then he said, okay, now get up and go tell my brothers, and here's the guy's turn in Matthew 28, 16 and 17. So then the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Interesting. I don't really know what to make of this, but all I know is it didn't say that the women doubted. And so, dudes, I don't know why we are wrestling with our faith so much. And you're sitting next to some godly women who are hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. They're the first at the empty tomb. And we're like, I don't know, guys. I don't know what it is. But these 11 men who had spent three years with him, just like the ladies had. And and now he's standing before them and they're seeing him resurrected with his own eyes. I mean, what do you need to see to worship him without doubt? Yes. I don't know who this is for, but it's for some of us men in this room. What more do you need to see, men, to worship him without doubt? They saw him, y'all, on the other side of the horrific beatings. They saw him on the other side of that brutal hike up to the hill that they called the place of the skull when he carried his cross. They saw him on the other side of the three seven-inch nails that were driven into his hands and feet. They saw him 
on the other side of the crown of thorns that was beaten down on his head. They saw him on the other side of breathing his last breath. They saw him on the other side of his sealed, guarded, and secure tomb. They saw him on the other side of death. And my friends, this is the simple gospel. Which again just means that this is good news, right? Jesus wasn't lying yeah. when he foretold his resurrection at least three times. We know biblically. They saw him. And this is the gospel. It is this simple. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I would remind you, brothers, this is now the Apostle Paul writing to a church in a place called Corinth. He says, I'm reminding you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Remember, there is salvation under no other name. This is the gospel. Check it out. He says, Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He goes on, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five Hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, come on. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. I know this might feel like very elementary, but listen, he appeared. Right. Guys, on the other side of him being dead, gone, buried, He appeared. They saw him. They saw him with his own eyes. This is the gospel. My friends, this is not a myth. This is not a legend. This is not some great story that we have just kind of concocted throughout history. So we feel like in some philosophical sense that we can overcome the odds. We can we can rise up from death metaphorically and see newness of life. No, no, no. No, this isn't philosophy. This isn't a metaphor. This is he was dead and they saw him after. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is why there's no other name but the name of Jesus under heaven by which your sin before a God who you have rejected, you have rebelled against, you have turned away and run away from the only way that that offense to God can be removed so that you can be restored to God and made new is because Jesus died for sin, was buried, and on the third day, rose again, and then a lot of people saw him. He was telling the truth. Who else paid for your sin? Who else could do that? Who else could do that? Who else could bury your shame? Who else? Who else? There's no other name. Who else could overcome the great equalizer of men, death, 
what it says. This is so huge. This is so huge. Don't miss this. Verse 14, we're still in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. He doesn't stop there. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Verse 51, we shall now not all sleep. We shall all, but we shall all be changed in a moment. And the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised and we shall all be changed. He's not speaking about your future in Jesus. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. That just means that just like Jesus died and was rose to something new, that if you are in Jesus, then you are going to become something new with him one day. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death swallowed in victory. You guys remember the story in the Old Testament where Moses and the Israelites come out of Egypt, this great, this great deliverance called the Exodus. A couple million people get set free from slavery in the land of Egypt. They end up in the desert. They're back up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptians changed their mind and sent the greatest army on the planet to chase them back down and bring, drag them back into captivity. And there's this famous story where their backs are up against the wall. They've got nowhere to go. God tells Moses to put his staff in the Red Sea. He sticks his staff in the Red Sea and it parts. And the entire nation of the Israelites moves through this massive body of water on dry ground. The Egyptian army foolishly decides to follow them into that miracle. And they now find themselves on dry ground where there used to be a body of water with walls of water on each side of them deciding we're going back. And God says, no, you will not drag my people back into their past. Come on. Where I have said freedom, my people will be free. Come on. You will not drag my people backwards. They get out. The Israelites get out. And the sea swallows up the Egyptian army. It's the same word as death. Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up. Yeah. And some of y'all here today, and maybe at some point in your life, God set you free from Egypt. You put your faith in Jesus. You believed he died for you and was risen for you. And you came out. But when you came out, your past came after you. And maybe you didn't do as good of a job outrunning your past. But I want you to know today, that he can swallow up your past and he can pull you into something new. I feel like the invitation for us this morning, worship band, why don't you guys go ahead and come up here. 
as we close. If you're new to our church, we worship for a song at the end of our service as well. Because Jesus talks about not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. And so we're all hearing the word of God, and there's an opportunity for us to respond, to take a moment of reflection, of response, and to do something about it. To not just walk out of here and go, oh, cool, what's for dinner? <laughs> oh, sweet, Jesus is alive. My entire life can be renovated and made new and set free and healed, saved, delivered, all stuff. You see, cool, what's for dinner? Cafe Rio, we good? You know, don't miss it, yeah. right? Don't miss it. Remember that thing I said, hey, I don't know what you came in with today that you feel like you need rescue from or you need saving from. I don't know what part of the inside of your house you feel like needs renovation, you feel like needs to be made new. But I feel like God is inviting us to fill in the blank. Are you with me? Yeah. So for you, it might, for you, it might be death where is your victory. For you, maybe you're still living in the fear of death that has consumed our planet for the last couple of years. Maybe you need to say today, death, where is your victory? But for some of us, maybe it's depression, where is your victory? Maybe it's anxiety, where is your victory? Maybe it's hopelessness, where is your victory? Despair, where is your victory? The point is, is there anything stronger than death? So if death was swallowed, anything else that you fill in the blank can can be swallowed. Maybe it's hatred. Where is your victory? Maybe it's greed. Where is your victory? Maybe it's lust. Where is your victory? Maybe it's anger. Where is your victory? Maybe it's divorce. Where is your victory? Maybe it's addiction. Where is your victory? Maybe it's selfishness. Where is your victory? Maybe it's insecurity. Where is your victory? Maybe it's suicide. Where is your victory? But I know that when Jesus hung up on that cross, death was swallowed up. Right. The Bible actually says that it was the grace of God that Jesus tasted death for everyone. And I've always struggled with that verse because I get what it's trying to say, that he tasted death for everyone. And that's God's grace, that where I should have died, he tasted it for me. But I'm like, taste? He didn't taste nothing, man. He drank the whole cup of suffering. Taste I'll have to go look. Maybe that word actually means swallowed. He swallowed it. And he said it was finished. The last words out of his mouth. It is finished. Before we respond, though, we got to go back to the mountain with Jesus and the boys. Because what he said to them after they fell down and worshiped with doubt. Church family, talking about those who dream, what Jesus said to them on that mountain is critical for us in this season of dreaming forward. He said to them in verse 18 in Matthew 28 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now you 
my sons and daughters of the resurrection. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want to speak to the church body, our church family right here. We call this passage the Great Commission. And if you are searching for your great purpose in life, I want you to know this is your great purpose in life. The Great Commission is your mission. Do you want a God-sized dream that will fill and consume the rest of your life? Do you want something more exciting than your next promotion? More satisfying than your dream car, your dream house? More fulfilling than your love life, your next relationship? Go tell someone about this victory. Go share your story and how you saw him. Go and make disciples. We're all trying to figure out what our purpose is. It's to carry this victory. It's that simple. It's to carry this victory. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Great Commission is your life's mission. Search no further. This is his greatest dream for his kids, that we would join him in the spread of his victory. All other dreams that we have, I'm not saying they're bad. Some of your dreams are a means to that happening in your life. But they all pale in comparison to this dream. On that note, we have an outreach team here at Antioch Salt Lake. We believe God's put us in downtown Salt Lake on purpose, for a purpose. We are dreaming with God, asking Him, what do you want to do in this city? And so if you're looking to grow in your faith and step out and make disciples, there's actually an outreach meeting tomorrow night in this room right here from 7 to 8 p.m. We're engaged, reaching out in the community in different ways, sharing the victory of Jesus in different ways. And if you're saying, hey, I want to get in with some other people and I want to grow, just come tomorrow night. You're going to meet some incredible people that are just taking the next step. But here's how we're going to respond today. I want you guys to stand with me. We're going to respond by just doing what they did. With with their eyes, they saw a resurrected Jesus. We're just going to worship. We're going to worship. But... What is your blank? Death, where is your victory? I want you to think about it right now. Just take a moment. What is your blank? What are you losing to right now in your life? Grab yours. Fill in that blank for your own life. Just take a minute.
name under heaven by which men are saved. If you're looking for a rescue, if you're looking for a healer, if you're looking for freedom, and you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That though the wages of our sin is death, that the free gift of God is eternal life. And I believe that he extends this free gift to every single man, every single woman, every single child. And like any gift that is offered to us, we get to choose whether we embrace that gift and receive it. The Bible says that when we receive the free gift of his grace, that we become children of God. We become adopted by the father we ran away from. If you've never called on the name of the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I just want to again ask that every eye would be closed in this room. This isn't about who's in the room. This is about a moment. This is about holy moments in our life. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man opens the door to me, I will come in to him and I will dine with him. And if Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today and you've never opened it and let him in, I just want to ask you to shoot your hand up in the air. It's, a, it's, it's not for any of us. I got my eyes closed. I'm not even going to look. It is for you. It is for, it's, a, it's an outstretched arm saying, God, there's no other name under heaven. Go ahead and stretch it out in faith. There's no other name under heaven by which men are saved. I call upon you, Jesus, to rescue me. Rescue me from my sin. Heal me from the effects of my sin. Deliver me from the attachments that my sin have created, Lord. If that's you and you've never called upon his name, just shoot your hand up. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thank you for the victory of a resurrected King. We're going to fill in the blank and we're going to worship Jesus because he's alive today. It's not hype. It's not emotionalism. They saw him. He appeared. Because of that, anything is possible. Let's take a look.